Funnily enough, Mr. Sussman actually really hated this episode. For the same reason he says he hates all message shows. I don't know, I, I try not to comment on that since I've seen good and bad message shows. and Well, I'd say about half the time the really good message shows are the ones that aren't trying to deliberately show a message. It's just something that kind of logically follows through on the story they're trying to tell, which also happens to be message-related. Whereas if you go out to be like, I'm going to tell people that carrots are terrible. So it'll be an episode all about how carrots are awful. This tends to affect the construction of the episode. You can kind of see through it. And so as a consequence, it tends to make it worse in my opinion. Because then you're trying to show carrots as bad because that's your message. So you will construct your narrative to show that carrots are bad rather than say, trying to do a story about how there's this one alien race that happens to find carrots poisonous, and so they happen to do this meal, and oh my god, they're poisoned, and there's this big diplomatic incident, and they're not sure what's going on, and oh my god, and we're trying to figure out what what caused the illness, because they suspect it was poison, and they start sending ships, but they can't really kill us, but they can send enough of them, and we can kill them, and we don't want to kill them, because we're trying to be at peace, and god, how do we deal with this, and finally Phlox is like, I fixed, it's, it's the carrots, it was the carrots, it was poisonous to them, oh god, I've got it, Oh my god, I can't believe it was something so simple. It was the carrots, we didn't do it. We, we've healed them. I'm okay, I'm okay. Stall down the attack, you know. I just made that up on the fly. <laughs> it's not incredibly obvious, but the point remaining, you can see how the construction would vary substantially as opposed to a story that's about carrots being evil, which would probably start off on a carrot farm where people are abused horribly and murdered in order to, to make the carrots happen, and they sacrifice the people, and they butcher them, and then throw their corpses into the fields to grow the carrots. And <laughs> Once again, made up on the fly, but you get the point. Star Trek certainly has been uh, very overt in the past in a similar manner. But of course, you really want me to talk about Dean Stockwell, don't you? I was never a huge fan of Quantum Leap. I mean, it's a good enough show, but it, it managed to frustrate the crap out of me. Because it did everything I hate about comic books. Well, that's not true. There's a lot of things I dislike about comic books in addendum to this. But the point is, it was just kind of this never-ending thing, right? It had continuity, and the events happened and acknowledged previous events, and it's not like it was Twilight Zone where it's new cast, new story every single episode. But he never got home, and he probably never did actually get home. In the end, the closest he ever got was jumping into himself when he was younger, and that's about as close as he ever managed, so that sucks. <laughs> um. So, I mean, that just kind of constantly teasing out for everything doesn't really work for me. And if you don't know why that relates to comic books, then you obviously haven't read comic books. <laughs> That's why I tend to prefer, um, what do they call them? Uh, there's a term for it where there's a comic book series, which is a self-contained story, so it can begin and end, and usually isn't connected to continuity, too. I'm not talking about Elseworlds, but there is a like a trade paperback or something like that. I don't know. Uh, which tends to be a contained story, so it is allowed to begin and end and show consequence and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I'm getting off topic because Dean Stockwell, I remember him most fondly from Battlestar Galactica, actually. Which is funny because I don't even like that show. Yeah, I know, I know, hate me, blah, blah, blah. I've had for the longest time, Battlestar Galactica was actually the very first show I ever referred to as coffee. No joke. It's the first time that ever came up. 
uh, well, it's the first time I ever used that new phrase for it, because before coffee I called it Elvis, but I'm getting way off topic and I'm doing the segue thing again, I should probably stop. The point I'm trying to reach here is that Dean Stockwell is a good actor, and they wanted him on this show. Why? Because he was on Quantum Leap. I think I mentioned this back in Broken Bow, but they really wanted to have Scott Bakula on the show. The Paramount executives did. I've never figured out why. I don't mean that as an insult. It's just there's no information about why they insisted he get to this. It's not like he tried out for it. It's not like he was seeking to become a member of the next Star Trek show. They reached out to him and said, hey, and tried to get him involved in this. And I'm not sure why, but they also did the same thing with Stockwell. They specifically were like, we need to get him on board because he was on Quantum Leap. Now, I've heard a lot of stories over the years about executives doing things for really weird reasons. Giant spider story. So I look at this like, maybe this is just one of those. Maybe there was just a Paramount exec with a lot of pull at this point in history who really liked Quantum Leap and just wanted to kind of do something with that. Because... I mean, honestly, I've seen worse stories when it comes to executives making decisions in television and movies. So. The cold open happens, and they're trapped, and they're in a prison. But they're Sulaban! Da-da-da! What's interesting is I've been talking about the cold opens as we go, and I've been doing that this whole Star Trek series through all the way back to Voyager. A lot of Enterprise's cold opens are specifically designed for people who are watching the show. This is kind of more a push towards serialization, which is something Enterprise has been doing pretty consistently, actually. I feel a lot of this is Braga's influence, since he was really big on serialization, and he really wanted to do things like the Year of Hell, for example, and has been wanting to do that kind of thing for a long time. In fact, he would eventually end up doing something on 24 in basically the exact manner he wanted to, so good on him. But I bring all this up because they really are trying to emphasize the idea that this is meant to be watched by people who are invested in the show. That almost makes me sad. Because, I don't know how to phrase this, because the people I would ask this question aren't watching this. How many of you are not invested in this show? And if you're not invested in the show, you're probably not watching some random loser on the internet and who is balding it up and being a moron and yammering on about the fact that he's trying to discuss this show with you guys that he just watched and do his own particular style of analysis and ruminations. So I can't really ask that question. So instead I'm going to share something. One of the things I've found is that there are two recurring things about Enterprise. One is that it's not popular. And the other is that most of the people who even bothered to watch it only watched a couple of episodes that were bad and remember those episodes and so have stayed away from the rest of it. Imagine for a moment if you were trying to pitch TNG to someone and someone was like, God, no, I don't want to watch that show. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah. What was the episode? It was about some people on a planet, and they kidnapped, like, the blonde security chief or something, and they had, like, sticks and some kind of battle to the death, and you're like, the only episode you watched is Code of Honor. Yeah, that's the one. That's kind of how I feel with Enterprise. I mean, we've had two Lamentations in Season 1, and a lot of these episodes are kind of dull, but this is nowhere near as bad as I remembered it. Really. And there are plenty of episodes which are decent. 
which are average or above average. This is one of those. The previous one is one of those. And we've had one really good episode and two other episodes I actually enjoyed. I know that sounds like a strange thing to comment on, and that is not high praise, and I'm not trying to say it is, but you can see why it's frustrating, because it's nowhere near as bad as the popular consensus seems to be, even amongst Trek geeks specifically. Never mind science fiction geeks, never mind television watchers, never mind people in general. I actually know someone, actually I know a lot of people, but I'm going to name one person personally, I'm not going to name them, but there's one person I know personally who was like, was told by several people, to, you know, Enterprise gets good later. So he decided to sit down, and the first episode he watched was the very first episode of Season 4. Now, I'm not going to share what that episode is, but if you've seen this show, you know what that episode is. They refused to watch anymore. I had to bug them for some time to move past that by explaining the circumstances behind that so they would then watch the rest of Season 4, at which point they enjoyed it. Which leads me to stuff like this. This is a perfectly acceptable episode. I think it is a little bit overt. But I think it's okay in this case. If you're going to have an episode about, no, no joke intended, Nazis and portray them as evil, that doesn't really bother me because they're Nazis. <laughs> so that leads us to this episode. As an aside, it would really be awesome if any of you out there have been giving this show more of a chance as a result of these ruminations. I know, that's just selfish and egotistical. It just it would be really kind of cool to, to know that. The episode starts, we're trapped, there's Sulaban. So anybody who's familiar with the show and invested in the show is like, oh god, they've been captured by the Cabal! Da -da -da -da. This then leads almost immediately to a showcasing of the fact that that's not true. They are in a prison, and while they kind of drag it out a little bit, it's only like a minute or two before we realize that this is not what we presumed, because then other people come in in evil uniforms. You can tell they're evil because they're black, because they're Nazis. And they come out and they actually shock a random guy for no reason, just, just to be a dick, just abuse of power. Then they pull us away, and hey, it finds we find out, we, we meet Dean Stockwell's character, Grat, and we find out that there's some stuff going on. Now, I actually don't have a lot of notes on this episode, believe it or not, because most of it speaks for itself. But I want to bring up two things here. First, one of the first things we hear is that the Cabal has been antagonistic towards the, uh, what are they called, Tendarans? Yep, Tendarans. Okay. That brought up an interesting question. What are the Cabal doing? We know that they are willing to work for Archer, excuse me, Future Guy in order to get some of the enhancements they've been getting. But what we don't know is what they've been doing other than that. We find out later in this episode that the Sulaban homeworld was destroyed or rendered inhabitable, uninhabitable sometime before, which means the Sulaban are an itinerant race. And we also find out that as nomads, they tend to either settle places or just kind of keep moving which is why there's Sulaban here. There's probably Sulaban over a fairly large chunk of territory, which you can kind of see why this is the perfect race to reach out to if you have super advanced tech to try and turn them into your personal minions. So all of this actually lines up pretty well so far. Then, well, we get information that the Cabal have been attacking and destroying Tendar and stuff. That, that, that brings up an interesting question. Why? Now, all the information we get from Grot is suspect, to be clear. But I don't think he's a liar. Not really. 
I mean, okay, that's strange because he actively and openly lies in this episode at least three times that I can think of. But when he lies, he does so with a completely different tone and approach and everything. He tends to pretty much shoot straight off the hip, uh, if you know what I mean. And I don't think he's making that up. So that brings me back to the original question. Why are the Cabal attacking the Tendaran? But then, it's obvious, isn't it? They want the territory. Because they don't have any. So they look at the nearest area that already has a pre-existing Suliban population and say, Aha! Don't worry, we'll get you your homeworld. And they decide to try and conquer Tendaran. Now, I don't know if that's true. That is purely speculation on my part. It could also be that the Cabal are doing stuff here specifically at the behest of their taskmasters. It could be the Cabal are not as unified as we'd like to think, and that there's just different cells doing different things for different reasons. It could be that they're just having fun because they're psychopathic. I don't know. But that's the first interesting question the episode posits. The second is, why did their homeworld get screwed up? I mean, it's a necessary part of their characterization and their species history, but what happened to make that happen? I gotta admit, my very first thought was that future guy kind of messed that up. That he gave them tech that was, say, really good power generation, but also very damaging to the environment. That's all you'd have to do. Imagine if we, in real life humans, were given something that could produce tons and tons of energy, way more than cold coal or uh, wind or whatever power plants or nuclear power plants but it also was extremely cheap to implement now let's also assume that we find out later that it's extremely damaging to the environment worse than coal or nuclear or wind or anything else you could think of it's it's actually it's it's like spreading phase on or tiberium on the planet that kind of bad right you think we'd stop So, that's, of course, pure headcanon. We also find out that they are heavily regulated and that they separate families. It's almost impossible to talk about this kind of thing without touching on real-life politics. And that was, of course, the intent. I'd rather avoid that if if we can manage that since this is a current issue. They do specifically name-dropped Manzanar, and this is in several ways based off of the Japanese experience of the internment camps on the West Coast here in the States back during World War II. But the problem is this: the stuff they do and the stuff they present are still an issue, and that's... Which leads me to my next point. Um, actually, that doesn't lead me to my next point. I just want to make a quick aside. For those of you who played FF8, we have Mean Guard. We found out where he ended up. He ended up here. I don't think he even has a name in this episode. He's just Mean Guard. Okay. Had, had to give a moment of levity before we start talking about... Grat starts asking questions of Archer. Now, Archer was reasonably willing to talk and help until he finds out that these people are in an internment camp. That's about what it is. They are imprisoned in a way that I would consider uh, cruel and inhuman, and I would very strongly argue that. Grat then is like, okay, you need to tell me everything about Silic and about what they were after and what, about what the temporal Cold War. Now, the fact that he name drops that one is interesting because my first thought is they have no idea what the temporal Cold War actually is. They're just aware of it thanks to their intelligence, which is apparently quite good, on the Cabal. 
Now, the words temporal cold war probably imply what's going on, but you can probably see why in the absence of understanding, indeed the absence of the knowledge of time travel, you could look at that and be like, okay, what the hell does that mean? Like, what, what does that imply? What, is, is that a threat? Is that a threat to us? Is that something to do with us? Is that why you're attacking us? You know, all sorts of information, especially from such a seemingly paranoid species as this one. He's... Archer is, of course, right in moralizing here because these guys are Nazis, but he doesn't cooperate at all basically because screw you, and that's his attitude. Normally I don't like it when Archer moralizes. I think it kind of works in this one instance because what we have here is a group that are wrong. They are in the wrong. Grant talks about pogroms, which are... among the most horrible things in human existence. And then he says, we put them here for their own safety. We did it for them. So why didn't you assign, for example, military personnel to defend and protect the citizens of your nation that are a member of your nation in order to protect them from other citizens of your nation? Last I checked, if someone decided to just go out and just randomly kill someone else, regardless of all other circumstances, that's what we call a crime. But no, you decided to put them in internment camps because, well, that's you don't actually care about protecting them, do you? Now you might say, well, that sounds extremely dangerous, and you'd be absolutely right. This, I think, is a side sidestep of the uh, side connection to the guilty versus innocent argument, which I've heard many times. Forgive me for talking about this for a minute. Would you, this is a real question, would you rather that nine innocent people get convicted of crimes they did not do so that one guilty person would be convicted? Or would you rather that nine guilty people who actually did crimes go free to ensure that one innocent person goes free? That is one of those, those arguments, those debates that I have heard and studied and researched, and apparently we've been debating that one since the, the B.C. era. Um, and of course, that's going to come down a lot to your opinion and your experiences and what you've been through and all that fun stuff. And those two sides of that debate, this is something DS9 covered, actually, several times, because this is also related to the security versus freedom debate. Would you rather clamp down in order to destroy freedom in order to ensure security, or would you rather open up freedom, which in turn destroys security? And you can see how these two aren't really compatible, right? Without in tremendous amounts of technology and or magic, which these people do not have, you don't have the ability to really have it both ways. You get to pick. Now, we know what these people picked. They went with security. They decided that nine innocent people need to be found guilty in order to ensure that that tenth is found guilty. I'm, I'm actually not going to give my opinion on this because my opinion is irrelevant, but the episode does ask that question, and it does try to posit the idea which, which, which is better. Except the problem is the episode very clearly comes down on the internment camp people as part of that equation. And I think this is the one way in which the message doesn't work. Because the question, which does not have a good answer, I want to restress that point, is 
basically by virtue of who it's connected to treat it as if it's wrong because the people who are interning their own people are wrong and they are but you can see how this kind of muddles things a little bit when this could have been a nice interesting dilemma and instead we have the bad guys or we could have just had the bad guys and avoid the dilemma entirely but they try to have it both ways and i feel it is to the episode's detriment i think it's one of the weakest parts of the episode which is a shame because i did enjoy this one there's this nice bit <laughs> uh, where they escape uh, well okay in my notes i say they escape relatively early it's actually two-thirds of the way through the episode I just flew through this episode. I, I barely noticed that the time was passing. Good good sign. Good sign. And there's this bit where Archer is like, hey, you know, we need to help these people. They escape early, though. They escape early on. But Archer's like, no, we need to help these other people get out. I thought you said you weren't interfering with other cultures. Yeah, I changed my mind. I have a really strong impression that that line was added in after this script was originally broken because of the changes that happened back in Dear Doctor. I would almost bet money on that. So, I find myself wondering about the political situation, too. Remember, the Tendarans are a nation, just like Starfleet is a nation, effectively, at this point. Earth, humans, whatever you want to call it. So, one nation has imprisoned your people, and also fires on your vessels. Now that's, I mean, that is arguably tantamount to you know, war, to, to actually provoking war with Starfleet. I doubt Starfleet's going to go to war over this one. But especially interesting is the political ramifications are more muddled than they could be because Tendarans could easily hide behind, well, you were working with the Suliban, the Cabal, our enemy. We have proof of this because your guy was talking to these Suliban people and staged a breakout. So you are now politically connected to the Cabal, which makes you our enemy. So we're already at war. And they could also use this to justify this in the eyes of the other nations of the, the local community, if they chose to. It's just an interesting little circumstance. But what really pissed me off, this actually happened earlier, but what really pissed me off is he uses bureaucracy as a coercion tool. Now... It's hard to really explain why that pisses me off so much. I, I guess it's just the insidiousness of it. Oh, well, don't worry. You, all you have to do to prove your innocence is go through this system. The system is designed to be laborious and arduous, and I just realized why it pisses me off. Because it reminds me of the United States legal system. Because, let's say you're arrested on a false crime, and all you have to do is prove your innocence. Now, that system is designed from ground to top to make you be convicted. To be convicted and to be kept in jail. Not prison, jail. There is a distinction. And so, you are told at every time, in a reasonable manner, don't worry, all you have to do is go through the system. You're innocent. There's no proof against you. We have proof that exonerates you. All you have to do is go through the system and be away from your job and your home and your family and your friends and your life and possibly lose your job and possibly lose your apartment because you're late on a, on a payment, depending on when this happens, and how long it takes, which can take up to nine months, even with right to speedy trial, in order to prove the fact that you didn't do this spurious crime that has been leveled at you. 
Also, the entire time you're spending time in jail, or if you'd like, you can spend money to not be in jail, but you might not have that money because of the aforementioned job and apartment issue. Then, you add on to the fact that the entire time the prosecutor's office, which itself acts as a separate legal system, is constantly trying to break you down and get you to accept a plea which is one of the most horrifically insidious things I've ever heard of in human society. I mean that sincerely. The whole plea thing, I'm not going to go fully into detail on that, but they will constantly, even if, if you get to the point where you even go to a jury trial, which if you continue to fight this, you may. By the way, I hope you get a good lawyer because one's going to be assigned to you or you're going to have to pay through the nose for one. But either way, more money, of course. They're constantly trying to get you, even up to the, and during the trial, they will try to get you to accept a plea agreement. You will, of course, say, no, you're innocent. Why wouldn't you? So now, nine months has passed. Your life has been completely turned upside down. You've lost your job. You lost your apartment. Um, but it's okay, because you went through the bureaucracy that they told you you could go through, and you did prove yourself innocent. <laughs> right? That's how that works, right? Ignore the fact that everyone's going to be constantly sharing information about how you were arrested, which everyone seems to naturally assume means you were convicted of a crime, even though arrest and conviction are like 50 steps apart from each other. Ignore the fact that your life is in shambles and without the help of others, you will probably not manage to do anything. Ignore the fact that in order to keep going forwards, it is actually reasonable and indeed more likely, statistically speaking, that you will actually turn to crime to survive or worse, you will turn to crime so you get arrested so that you can go to prison. Because at least there you'll have a bed and food, which you currently lack the means to procure. Now, doesn't that kind of sound how the Tendarans sort of have... They don't go into as much detail as I just did, but that's exactly what this sounds like to me. Oh, no, don't worry. We'll have a brief preliminary trial. It'll be easy and quick. It's in like three days. Oh, you didn't answer me as quickly as I thought. I may have to keep you there a little longer. Don't worry, we'll still take you to the trial, and you can still go through the system. It's just they won't be back for 90 days, the whole time of which you'll be spent in jail. Oh, and don't worry, when, when your ship shows up, they are more than welcome to attend the trial if they'd like to, although if they try to do anything outside of the bounds of what is legally required of them, then we will actually have to consider them, you know, part of the problem. Yeah. So. I do like the fact that their ships are way weaker than Enterprise. That's a nice touch. I actually... Star Trek likes to bounce back and forth on this. Sometimes the threat of the weak is horrifically overpowered. Sometimes they're very underpowered. I kind of wish more were on the underpowered side of things. I know that sounds strange because then you'd say, well, then... There's no threat of the weak. We need to have a big bad guy to defeat. Well, I mean, I already disagree with that at the baseline, so maybe that's part of my disagreement here. But I do think there's plenty of ways to challenge the crew without having them to fight, go fight a big ship that is more than a match for them. So it is nice that they actually are able to take out these two little patrol ships and they DDoS the, uh, the enemies so they can beam down and infiltrate and get everyone out. And they get everyone out, which is awesome. Two things happen in short succession after this. First, uh, Mean Guard, the guy I mentioned earlier, comes through and and pulls out uh, Travis, who they've beaten because they're they're Nazis. And as he's you know, as he's going through this whole thing, um, 
he doesn't recognize, or rather, more importantly, not recognize Reed when he's disguised as a Sullivan. I actually think that's probably one of the subtler points of the episode. He just sees another Sullivan. He reveals his own racial, or I guess specious, bias right then and there, because... I'm sorry, the Sulapan all look pretty distinctly different. It is not that hard to identify them. Their faces are different, their structure, the, the way their the, the ridges are different. They are very easy to distinguish from each other. So Malcolm should look like a completely new person that he's never seen before who is suddenly in his prison. Instead, he looks at him and, and he just thinks of him as another Sulapan, so he doesn't say anything or do anything, and naturally that leads to them being able to get away with things. Then Gratz shows up for one final confrontation, and there's this wonderful little bit where he finally just spits in rage. They have no rights. They lost all their rights the moment the Cabal attacked. Because Gratz would rather that nine innocent people be locked up so that one guilty person can be. Or he's a horrific species. That's also possible. It is also possible he's just anti-Suliban. I don't know. Unfortunately, we don't see much about the Tandaran government outside of one kernel of one internment camp, so it's entirely possible there's layers going on here we don't know about. The episode ends on an interesting note. They get out, dot, 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 and then it's the end. We don't actually know the fate of the two, um, Danik or Sajin. We never find out their specific fate. We don't really know where they go or how they survive or if they turn to the Cabal. This is one of those other interesting things, too. If you're going to treat me as a crook, I might as well be a crook, right? You know, that mentality. So, you guys have shoved us up against saying we're the part of the cabal. Might as well join the cabal, right? At least they'll take care of me. It's hard to see a counter-argument there. By the way, quick side note. Uh, let's see. Dennis Christopher plays Danik. He also played a... Uh, Oh, God, I can't think of the name of the race all of a sudden. Oh, my God. I hate it when I can't think of something that I know very well, and it's just sitting there. Vorta. I got there before. I... He plays a Vorta named Boroth over on Deep Space Nine. Christopher Shen, who plays Sajen, played a Vorta over on Deep Space Nine named Keevan. I recognized Keevan immediately. Didn't recognize the other guy. I'll give him that. I only point this out because... Why, that would be an interesting story, wouldn't it? The Sulaban are actually Vorta! You'd go a lot of directions with that, couldn't you? But I've wasted your time enough with these ramblings and these side things. I'm going to try to stay a little bit more on topic uh, going forwards. I do apologize. I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.